and welcome to Culture Conversations. I'm Craig Foreman, your guide through the ever-evolving world of organizational culture. Here we engage in real, unscripted conversations with the changemakers actively shaping our workplaces. From innovative strategies to heartfelt insights, each conversation is a step towards making work work better for us all. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Culture Conversations. Hey everybody, my guest today is Stephen Wong, uh, who I am so excited to have here. He's such an important person to me. Uh, currently, Stephen is the Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Officer at MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, uh, a pretty prominent organization in the leading the charge towards legalization and using uh, psychedelics for therapy. Uh, Prior to that, he was a consultant, a DEI consultant. But prior to that is when we worked together at, at CultureAmp, and he was a people scientist, and then it went on to launch CultureAmp's first DEI program, which we called our Equitable Design Initiative. So that's a bit about his background. Um, personally, we met, like I said, he was a people scientist uh, when I joined, and he really was important to me. He showed me the ropes in many ways and helped me as I thought about how to translate concepts and data into stories and into action and working with clients uh, and it's it's really gotten into everything that I do and I always think think back to that he also was big in my life around how I think about DE&I and not just thinking about it but how he pushed me to take action how to lean and go from thinking about it to how can it showcase in my work in my life um, and that's always been really really important to me and I'll, I'll share a funny story one of my earliest memories with him was we were in the um, lunch area at Culture Amp. It was I had just started there, and he was openly talking to me. And there was colleagues around about psychedelics and LSD. And I remember sitting there thinking, "Is this okay? Are, are we able to do this?" Um, and you know, it, as I look back, as I've gotten to know him, of course, and it's one of his best traits. This this provocative nature, his openness, his willing to be honest, uh, and just put it all out there. And you know, at the time, I remember thinking this is this is edgy but as life went on he has spoken openly about how his journey used to psychedelics is and you know informed his approach to DEI and now he's at MAP so it's just such a, a fitting story around around Stephen my first memory or one of my first memories uh, so in today's conversation look we talked about the importance and path to finding meaningful work which I think is great for anybody as they're finding their own way in this in this world uh, the intersection of DEI and psychedelics as I mentioned before and also the power of authenticity in one's work all great topics and things that I think are going to be really really beneficial and I promise you engaging interesting inspiring that is that is his trademark so I'm forever grateful that Stephen has become part of my world. I've learned so much from him, and I hope that you will too. So thank you, Stephen, for being here on Culture Conversations. How are you doing? I'm really good. I have the day off today. It's uh, Indigenous Reciprocity Day at my organization. So I've got all the time in the world for you. You've got all the time in the world. What are you doing today? This, and then I'm going to catch up with an old coworker um, in Oakland. Awesome. So for everybody listening, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on backstory, but Stephen and I, can I, can I use the, yeah, you don't use that name anymore, but I still use it. Can you use still it? use it. I mean, for, in the culture amp parlance, please so call me. Sven. Culture amp, we called Steven Sven. It was always, it's probably because there's what was a lot of Stevens there, but we met, we were both people scientists at culture amp. Uh, Steven Sven has a very special spot for me. Cause I think when I was trying to figure out the ropes, you were there, uh, helping me out and set me on a really great path. But then you went on to lead our DEI initiatives. And now I'll let you talk a little bit about where you are now, but um, it's 
you're just you're a very special person to me and my development and friendship professional i love what you're up to you're always pushing the boundaries and it's awesome to have you here with us oh thank you for having me craig yeah i spent a little over five years at culture ramp it was a place where i really just blossomed and grew as a culture um, advocate and professional um, I transitioned the head of DEI role to Aubrey Blanche, who is a rock star. Yeah. It's going to be the F word. Can we swear on this? Yes, this okay. uh, she's a fucking rock star. Um, and then uh, COVID hit and I didn't have a headcount assigned to me. So <laughs> off I went, got kicked out of the desk. <laughs> um, but it was probably the best thing that happened to me. Um, I was, you know, that was just a really dark time for everyone. I was living home alone and in San Francisco, we really locked down. So I was doing a lot of psychedelics at that time and uh, figured out that I wanted to work in the psychedelic space. I wanted to bring DEI into the psychedelic space. I also wanted to bring psychedelic thinking into the DEI space. Um, and I was hoping that there was uh, a spot for me. And uh, yeah, I've spent two years working at the intersection of DEI, social justice, and psychedelics. Um, and I'm the director of social justice at MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. I still think a lot about culture, company culture, psychedelic culture. Um, it's a uh, you know, I don't like to use the word dream job because we shouldn't be dreaming about labor, but um, we do have to work. And <laughs> as far as finding work that is meaningful and purposeful, I'm very grateful and blessed that I've I, you know, what you, what you just said, I always think about like at a certain level, it's kind of what you, I don't know why it feels like it resonates this idea that like, this is sort of make believe. I mean, like this is what we do and how we exist and how we pay our bills, but there's also a make believeness to it. Like, like the relationships are real, how we treat each other are real, but like filing into buildings and like the kind of is sort of a, so I, I think about like, like see it as the game it is. So let's be honest with ourselves about work and what we're doing. And then how do we make it the, the best, you know, that it can possibly be. So I think when you say dream job, I, it's like, okay, if we're going to, if we're going to play this, where's the, where's the part that I fit in and how do I, and I think for anybody listening and you're a great example of, how do you figure out your your best path that's authentic to you where you can make a difference in the world via this work? Because we spend a lot of time with it. Um, it's funny too. You said, well, I, I needed to go find something that would fit. I, I judge that you were such a, you push boundaries so much. You almost create, created. I mean, I know maps was there, but just like, it's amazing. And you were one of the first voices I saw. I mean, I remember early on your posts and like the psychedelics. And I, I told you before we got started, I've always seen you as a pretty unique type of DEI practitioner. I think it's neat. And I think it ties into to this idea for anybody listening about forging their own path, whatever it may be about getting clear on purpose and and, and your, the why. And I just think how you decided to, to start this journey is a really cool story. Yeah. Thanks. I used to lie about it. People used to tell me like, oh, how did you get into DEI? And everyone has their story, right? It's like, oh, I was, you know, researching or this I don't know. People had their stories and I I told fake stories. I wasn't comfortable at first sharing the reality and the truth of how I found this work. Um, but it had always been, I guess, part of something that I I cared about. Like if you look at my family, we're all social justice advocates, but I had a very cushy job doing um, people analytics at Facebook and at Square and in various tech companies. Um, but I cared a lot about DEI. I just didn't know that it was a job or could be a job or that I would leave my, you know, career with technical skills uh, to do it. But um, I was at a music festival, my favorite one, Electric Daisy Carnival. 
and uh, I was just in the crowd. Um, I was on a, f- a few psychedelics in that moment. I think it was an LSD MDMA combination. Um, and I just had this powerful feeling of belonging and inclusion, like the deepest, deepest sense of love and belonging that I'd been craving my whole life. Um, and of course, yeah, it was a psychedelic assisted emotion, but it was so pure and clean that I just, I, something sparked in me. And when I got back home, I integrated that experience. Like, what did that mean? Like, like I, I almost can't go back to spreadsheets. <laughs> like I, I have to follow that feeling and, and I, the world should feel like that and workplaces should feel like that. Um, that moment. And, um, you know, it's, it's a dream, but, um, I just felt like what the diversity equity and inclusion movement was, um, pushing for, and this is in the backdrop of black lives matter since 2015, um, Trump was running for office. I just felt called um, to make DEI uh, my next kind of career path. And I've also been one to kind of jump into, into things in, 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 towards the right direction. I don't need to have a fully fleshed blueprint or roadmap. I, I feel comfortable and have enough privilege to kind of jump into spaces like that. I've done that a few times in my career. It's just so cool. And it's just a reminder. I mean, there are different ways and I don't want to minimize all of the different reasons people get into this work and a lot of them are really intense and, and it deserved yeah. to be, but just to sometimes I think, especially with, with really heavy topics to, to show all sides that mm. you got your way there through this deep sense of connection. It really, even in that moment, wasn't about social justice. It was simply about, we can do better. We can connect. And you and I have always enjoyed, we're both such music lovers, but we have such different music. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, you ever heard of this band? You're like, no. And you're like, what about this DJ? I'm like, no. Um, but we all we both go to a lot of music, and I remember in our early conversations just that I think we I, I didn't see it the same. We didn't pull me in the same way, but just the sense of connection. And I often have that experience at concerts when I look around. It's like I don't know their politics, I don't know what's going on, but I just know that everybody's here right now, connected, feeling you know, and would probably take care of each other if need be. It's you know, possible. If, if you ask, you know, do a, a survey says take a hundred DEI professionals and ask them how they got into this work. I would guess, I don't know, I don't know, maybe 80 or 90% would have a story of oppression, marginalization, you know, intersectional bias that they faced. And they're like, I don't want that for my children or for my community or this next generation. And that's important to have that activist social change drive. I just, I just came at it from a different angle of like, joy (laughs) like I want to bring joy to the workplace and to me DEI when you have a culture that really mm, sings you know we've been there we've had it you've had a taste and you know how good it can be you know maybe you didn't have it in your culture but maybe you've probably probably at some point in your career been on a team where everyone was vibing and it was a diverse and an inclusive team that was working together like that belonging and joy is like what is kind of how I I'm- you said, you know, some people, the activists, I, I, I will say that just because you have the spirit that you have an approach. I mean, if anything, I'd call you a joyful activist. You are. I mean, I, I am not ready to pull that from you because you have been such a activist in your own way, a provocateur, uh, you know, so I, you know, you've even pushed me at moments. So I just, I, I see you as like this beautiful 
wonderful a- activist that just operates yeah. in just a different type of, of way. Yeah. Maybe that's good. Not everybody, our activism has to look different ways, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Adrian Marie Brown, Pleasure Activism. Have you read that one? No. It's good. Uh, the the premise, I read it a few years ago, but from what I recall, the premise is like in a society that oppresses like black bodies, you can extend that to people of color. Um, pleasure is a form of activism in a society that tells us that we're not supposed to experience that. I um I think a lot, you know, when we built the Culture First community, we had had this term people geeks for a long time. That was kind of this this moniker. But as we were rethinking community, we started testing that. So is that the right, is that the right term? Is it not? Um, and a couple of things we learned. One is if it is, there has to be more because, you know, it, I, I was on a call with a, a gentleman from Egypt asking him what he thought of the word people geek. And we spent most of the call just trying to break down the word geek. So then you're like, well, this can't work globally if if, if the word doesn't even... Regardless, it is a great you know, for people that are really into the data and the analytics, but we thought it was much broader. And one of the additional terms we came up with was culture first activist. And in the beginning, there was, you know, pushback before it was adopted. And I think and it was the first time in my life I'd used that word, but I just kept going back to activist. What's the core of that word? Action. An activist is somebody that takes action. Where, where did that become? There's like a bad, sometimes when you say it, there's almost like a subtle, like, ooh, activist. And I think just maybe breaking it down and saying, how about just being an act- somebody that's willing to take action, like get out of all the stuff and all what it means and different people are activists in a different way. I think if we have a world of people that are focused on something, like you said, you got clear and then you decided to take action towards that thing. Um, that's a good, that's a good thing. Yeah. I feel like activism also, at least in the way that I use it, it's like you're taking action to change the status quo. Like the status quo isn't working for you or for your community or just for everyone. And so you take action to just like, let's challenge that. It'd be different. Yeah. I, uh, I think I had a similar experience when you tell the story about the music festival and this is fine. This is so like Bay area of us, this conversation, because of course I'm going to say I, uh, I've went one time um, and I don't know, I don't need to minimize it, but I will say I'm not a burner. I wouldn't call myself that, but I did go to Burning Man one time. Me too. One time. It, uh, it, it sort of in a different way, sort of a similar experience of when you witness something or see something in a new way and you kind of can't turn it around. When I, saw 70,000 people that were loosely joined by 10 values and what came to be. And then what just disappeared, poof. I, it, was, it was hard to come back and not, and just say, oh, it just is what it is. And, and you just witness the power of like, ah, oh, but change is possible. People, I think I think we undersell our what, what's possible. Like, who am I? I'm just one person, you know? So that was a big one for me of witnessing, mm-hmm. seeing it, just seeing humans organized in different ways and, push back on this this idea that oh i can't change anything you know maybe one person can't but you have to believe it like like you, you can though right like not every person can make this big change but like one person can <laughs> and one of these individuals can if they start a movement if they bring the famous along. saying of like well, every great every great kind of change started with one person yeah like one person didn't do it all, but it, it's, it started with a person. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, I'm, I'm in, I want to hear your take particularly. I mean, I, I think I'd ask, we talk about this anyways, but I think we're going through something interesting with DEI right now. I want to, I'm so curious to get your take. You know, I feel even you, right. You were consulting for a while. It was like, there wasn't there, the, the, the more work than you could have gotten your hands around in the middle of COVID. 
Yeah. And definitely feeling in my conversations, being out in the world and talking to people that are practitioners, like there has been a massive shift. Oh yeah. What's, what's, what do you think? What's going on? Is it just the same old, like money dries up? It's not important anymore. Like what? Yeah. Like what's like, let's talk about the current state of DE and I and what you're thinking and seeing. You know, uh, after George Floyd's murder, that big influx of energy and resources and just capital, um, was nice, um, to, to mobilize, um, the movement and it brought a lot of DEI professionals into the space and elevated a lot of ERG leaders into, you know, certain positions, whether they were prepared for that or not. When I was, uh, working with Kelly Wagner at Collective in that moment, we had to hire something like, I don't know, 30 consultants to like meet all this demand. We're talking to you, you left culture app. And I was like, I can't even get time with them. He's so busy. <laughs> and we were like, do we hire people on contract or do we want to pay people full time? Because are people going to care about this next year? You know, and we had to make a tough decision. Like we just didn't know. We didn't want to hire a bunch of people and then have to lay them off six months later. In a sense, what I'm saying is we knew this was probably going to be temporary. We didn't know how long it was going to last. So we hired everyone on contract through the end of the year. And it gave them a taste for collective and gave um, collective some time to kind of figure out how permanent this was going to be. And then we eventually hired people on full time. The demand was sustained. And then flash forward two years the demand is not there. You can talk to any DEI professional that's still employed. A lot of them have lost their jobs. You can talk to any DEI firm that's still around. Many of them have closed or are just kind of subsisting on one or two clients now. Um, demand has really vanished. And and some people just say it's a correction because, you know, the, the influx of demand and resources and capital would never be sustained. Um, what do you say? Yeah, I think it's a correction. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think a lot of programs are going to flux with the economy. And when, when he comes in, yeah, you're going to have more extravagant holiday parties and there's going to be more inter-office travel. DEI programs are going to have bigger budgets. And when inflation hits. And this is particularly true in tech where we were, we spent a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Cuts are made and, and we shift to a performance culture where everything is scrutinized. Yeah. You know, I feel, I feel, I feel the, the, the pullback performance. I've always struggled with performance because I think it's broken, but it's the reminder if this is the moment we're in, how do we do it better? How do we do it? I mean, it's got it. They, they're all important. I and mean, the reality is that, that I think performance does if we engage with people like this, if we ask them to do work, if we're reviewing them, rating them, I, uh, but we have, to have that <laughs> program in place and do it in a fair way. And the reality is, I think you'd agree that DE&I ultimately sits over all of it. Like if you're, if we get into a real conversation about performance, we're ultimately going to get back to bias. We're going to get back to justice. We're going to get back to like these same topics. And I think in my work, that was one of the ahas early on. I never, when I first got to Cold Tramp, I DEI was its own thing. That was not what I did. I did this culture consulting thing. And very quickly, and you probably heard me say it, like all roads lead to DEI. I mean, if you're going to do any of this work, ultimately yeah. you are part of. Um, 
Yeah, in my organization, um, where the nonprofit side that I'm on is about 40 people, and we're about to implement performance reviews. Yeah. And so we're sitting down, I'm one of the core players in this. And the biggest challenge that we're sitting with right now is, what would a psychedelic performance review process look like? How do we bring the ethos of psychedelics into a performance review process? Um, there's two things I've kind of been juggling with right now. And I'd love to get your thoughts on like, yeah, you know, live. Um, one of them is uh, this, this um, part of the psychedelic experience for those that are listening that aren't um, uh, as familiar is after your psychedelic journey, you don't get all the insights in that journey necessarily. There's an integration period. And sometimes you actually have an integration uh, support coach or guide and you process, I had this emotion or I hallucinated this thing or I had this difficult, challenging experience. Um, there's an integration period. So like when you get your feedback and we create time and space for integration. So it's not like a, you know, Craig, you only met some expectations this pay period. What do you think? Like, can I just like integrate for a moment? Can I just internalize and sit with this? So time for integration is something that we want to build in. Um, and the other thing is um, we hate performance improvement plans, PIPs. Like we, we, there's says, two kinds of PIPs. says fired like PIPs. <laughs> there's two kinds of PIPs. There's one PIP that's like, hey, we actually think like we can get you back up to performing at the level that we need. Here's the milestones that we want to see. Here's the support we're gonna give you. There's like there's like a real PIP. And then there's the PIP that's like, we're actually gonna fire you in three months, no matter what. Here's some unrealistic goals for you that you'll never meet. Yeah, this is a cover RS kind of thing. Can we just be honest? Can we just tell people what kind of PIP they're on? I think as soon as you say PIP, you're like, I mean, our, when you said there's two kinds, I'm like, no, there's a conversation that happens that's more gingerly. And then there's the PIP. Because like when you say PIP, I don't care what you're doing. Everybody goes home and goes, I'm on a PIP. And everybody's like, okay, start Ooh, looking. Start oh, looking, okay. right? Uh, okay, so on, like, yeah, that's just like something like, like the psychedelic ethos is just empathetic and transparent and like cares deeply about the person. I hate anything that is like shrouded in like HR I mean, can we start with how unnatural it is when we put people in positions to rate and review and judge others, especially if we can <laughs> start there? I think, I think some of it is just like we don't normally do it. We probably didn't like it very much in school. How, I will say this, and I think this was a very interesting aha for me. Jason Lauritsen, who wrote a book on our performance, uh, he's done a lot of work in the space. Uh, I had a conversation with him years back, and he made a good point that always sat with me. He says, and this goes back to what we talked about in the beginning. Like, let's be real about the game we're playing, but let's also, can we be human? When I take a job at a company, I sign an employment contract, just like as if somebody, like you have to do construction in your house, you have a contract. I'm going to pay you X, you're going to do X. Like, this is what we're doing. There have to be moments where we sit down and look at that contract and say, we have agreed, we've entered in this agreement together. How's it going? Should we redo it? Can we add more? Should we increase your pay? I think it's important, but I think we need to hold it in its own very unique box and say, that's what we're doing. That is not your development conversation. That's not how can you grow and what's next and moving forward. It is simply sitting and saying, we are here together at some level because we have, there's a contract in place. And let's be real and let's be honest and like employees and employers, like let's just have that conversation. 
now now so you've separated how can you do that in a, in a more like human way like when we're talking about reviewing each other um i love what you just said about integration and i think look i have very limited experience with psychedelics i mean a, a mild a bit but i understand that but i've also had other powerful um i've gone on weekends or like retreats and i think the same thing holds when you have a very powerful experience some time to process and when you said that i had a visceral reaction because you're right like you sit and wait and wait and wait for the final results to come down it's just delivered and that's it and there's no opportunity sometimes it's very emotional and i i think about it differently a week after i've given given it than 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 when i when i got the review so i i think that's really powerful and the other thought i had was around oh i think there's a i think there's a um fail spot in the system and i've watched lots of performance management systems being built and like done with you know as you know with like thought and attention given to transparency to minimizing bias um but it seems like all of the ones that i know of that i've seen up to this point they do all the work i mean a, a well-developed if you're investing in this not just running it yourself of all those like tools and things to help with the transparency and all that and then it comes down to, I think, one of the biggest fail points in the area that we need to be focusing on more is, and then you say, okay, manager, you decide who these reviews are going to go out to. Mm. Like, so you do all this work to minimize bias and you go to one person, a person that has, I mean, like even, even in a positive way, there's a bias, right? If I like that employee and I, that employee serves me really well and I get, I'm getting kudos because of the work that employee does, who might I send, who might I ask to get reviews versus this employee everybody likes, but I really struggle with. And now it's time for me to decide who that goes out to. And I think I think we can do better at democratizing and thinking about, you know, how about we get really good, fair information, collect it and give it back to manager and then say, now have a conversation. And I, I have other ideas on this, but I think that that's I want more companies to look at their systems mm -hmm. and ask themselves if we've done all this work to get to one fail point, which is the bias of the manager and yeah. which, you know. And Gallup's State of the Global Workforce report just came out. And like its biggest thing was the future is the manager. We have to rethink managers. And I just, I, I've been thinking a lot about that. I've always struggled with it. And I think it it plays an awful role in the performance management process. Thoughts? For us to keep things simple, what we're thinking of, and by the way, thanks for all this advice. You can send me your invoice afterwards. Uh, <laughs> um you know, we just have such a small strapped team. We were thinking, get two pieces of feedback from your your peers. One person who you think you've worked really well with and one person who you haven't. And their job is explicitly to give you critical feedback. I just hate this whole, like, we love each other as an organization. It's like, I don't want to mess up your chance of getting a promotion. I don't want to mess with your livelihood. So everyone kind of like, Knowing that my performance review of you might impact, you know, if you get a promotion or not, or like, I have a really hard time giving critical feedback in a performance review process. I find it easier to give people critical feedback just in a conversation. But we thought if there's a role, positive feedback and a critical feedback, and this person's job is just to give you critical feedback, that it gives a balanced view for the manager. I like where you're going with that. Yeah, I think I think asking an employee to go do that is really hot. well, it's good intention, but we know that like you know we know human bias. Also, you you painted out like I don't want to give you Biff, I don't want to do that. But the flip side is that I ask anybody to say how many people have been on a team where someone's not pulling their weight, and no one's willing to say anything, and you're doing you're working extra. Like it's uh -huh. organizations here, people. Can we be honest with like what our objective is, what our goal is? We are working together, and I struggle because I think too many people make. Yeah, 
organizations aren't super efficient because people aren't willing to do that. So my then what I say is then how might we create a system that allows that? I, I've been thinking a lot about this. Here's what I would do. I would use I would use organizational network analysis to just mm -hmm. and it's I don't think it's that complicated anymore to look at who's working with who. Mm -hmm. And I would I I think you could just send out one question and I'm still working out what that would be. This is where you could come in, but something of just like I would recommend working with that per, or you know this just not trying to dig up dirt or anything and just get a simple, this is somebody that, you know, I think supports my work or I would recommend working with this person. And for everybody that you work closely with, doesn't mean it's your manager, it could be the, the procurement person. Just to, and, and, so, and then what I would do is I would use those scores to identify who to send out. So if, if, if there's a range, I would wanna hear from people that struggle, people that maybe are neutral and people that are positive. Yeah. And then present that back to to a manager and say, now we, you know, we did it, we did it, just we looked across. Because if everybody in the end of the day, if you know, it goes up to six people and four of them say, I do, would not recommend working this person ever. And the one manager who, you know, a very hierarchical system loves that person because that person's giving mm -hmm. them what they want. Don't you want to know about that? I mean, in the end of the day, just because you're good, if people don't like working with you, like, isn't that fundamentally like a core part, like people that work, that are competent, work well with each other are going to drive a great business. So I would just want to take the humans out of it and just get a fair assessment across the board and then make sure that we're getting a nice subset of reviews to come back. Well, we're, we're still rating people. You know, what if, what if the one black woman on the group rubs the six white men the wrong way? Yeah. Oof. And that's probably, no. uh, you know, <laughs> I feel like I got to bring you in to, to my organization because we are in a funky bunch, <laughs> like drug policy reformers. And well, okay. So you're on the bleeding edge. Tell me, tell me about some other, like, what would you look, you've always been pretty thoughtful and a thought leader in the space. So I think as we're turning the corner here, um, just for anybody that is doing this work in their organizations, like we got pretty deep into performance and DE and I, but, um, just what are some high level like learnings or ahas or things you think are important for anybody thinking about this kind of work or how they can be somebody in their organization helping move the needle, particularly when we're pulling back our resources on the DEI professionals? Just any thoughts? <laughs> I, I'm such in this like fringe culture right now. Like, I don't know if you want to get advice from me. Um, our employee handbook says you can be high at work. So okay. we're often high at work. Um, not, not often. We have uh you know certain things we deem as smokable tasks i like to do more creative work when i'm stoned great i love that like great like this, this, this some people like to do more real, you know tasks when they're stoned some people don't like smoking work at all i can't smoke in the morning and then be productive in the afternoon so i do my smokable tasks in the afternoon um but I, I mean, I think what's interesting about the way that we work in a in a psychedelic culture is we just challenge how to do things, you know, um, there's, there's a tried and true method and not that we always throw it out, but we'll question it. Like, Hey, is that going to work for us? I don't know. Let's all try some ketamine and like, think about this in a hot tub is like the mentality, you know, <laughs> and like, and we'll think about it and be like, yeah, that process does work. Or like, actually, no, maybe we want to create a new kind of special, um, financing, vehicle for this thing that we're trying to fund how would we do that I'm like i don't know it's like get this person how might we right 
you go and you use you use whatever you're open your culture's open you call it out you're open to you know to psychedelics and drugs so you're but regardless it's a how might we you just are you just will do that using substance mm-hmm. at the same time it's the same like question it versus just the way it is yeah and i think that's that's important you know there's always if you go to any conference right there's always someone telling you like this is the way you do it and then if you look back 10 or 20 years, it was the opposite, you know, ratings, no ratings, ratings, no ratings, which is like cycling back and forth and back and forth. Um, so it's it's not to say that we have all the answers. And oftentimes we do have to rely on like, there, you know, there's this pushback for us using OKRs and like, okay, well, how do you want to set goals and hold yourself accountable and like know what you're being evaluated against? And eventually we decided, okay, yeah, we do like OKRs. <laughs> but there was this period where there was- Being honest break. on both sides, we're running an organization. If the organization doesn't succeed, like we're trying to get a whole bunch of human bodies together to do this thing in the world. If it doesn't succeed, it goes away. Like this goes back to the performance review, the OKRs. Like, can we be honest and say, okay, this is part of it, not tie it all together, tease out like, and we're going to take care of people and we're going to have certain standards and how do we show up in the world? But I think- to your point, you got back to it because at the end of the day, how can how can a hundred people, two hundred people, three hundred people, even more, get aligned and achieve something without some sort of? I mean, through time and space, this has been the case. We need some vision, some 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 unifying force to help move us collectively in a direction. Yeah, especially we're a remote workforce, so um, AI, DEI, it's big. I mean, it's everywhere. You can't get away. It's what do you what are you thinking about? Um. I like using AI for certain things. Yeah. Um, For me, uh, I use it uh, to help at least draft up, right? I I always edit and go through. I never take it for granted. Um, But to respond in a trauma-informed way, uh, you know, at MAPS, we work with a lot of people that are experiencing trauma, have experienced trauma. um, And so requests will come in and I'm like, oh, I'm like, start typing. And I'm like, this isn't right. This person is going through a mental health challenge. I will kind of like ask for how I respond to something in a trauma informed way in AI in you know, whatever tool you want to use. And it pops something out. I'm like, oh, that like like the tone, ironically, it creates, you know, it uses this really amazing human soft like therapist driven tone that I'm not a trained therapist. I'm like, I'm using the machine to sound more human. I'm like, Oh geez. But um, that's, that's what I great. Use. I think that's cool for people to hear you talk about um, a practical use case and oh, there's tons day to day. It's helping. And I imagine oh. that we put big, I mean, I imagine we pull back big lens. You probably have some like concerns about what this means. Oh, tons. People yeah. and who's in, who's informing these models and all that, but you know, there are amazing people working on that. And I'm like, you go algorithmic justice league and you figure that out. And in the it's meantime, like, I'm going to use it for me. Say it's here. So what side are you going to be on? Are you going to sit back? Or are you going to help make sure it's as just as possible and do it the right way? Because it's not turning around. So let's, let's, let's all get actively involved to, to make sure we can use this in a, in a healthy and productive way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also, early days so it, it is the time to influence and i think you saw my linkedin post i asked it to my my obituary i don't recommend that oh i didn't see that uh, it got everything right it was like it was like got my career and like you know it, it i've put, written a lot online you did or did it was it, it went and found all that stuff about you on its own found all this stuff about me on my own but it did say that i died unexpectedly at 47 
and I left behind, um, behind a wife and two kids. So I'm, I'm, you know, a lot can happen in 11 years, you know, <laughs> I'm like, Oh no. Oh, didn't do all of its research. Did it? Well, yeah. Stranger things can happen. I so. guess that's true. I'm not gonna roll anything out. And then apparently my wife or someone said that instead of, um, uh, in lieu of flowers that you could donate to maps. And I was like, he left, he left behind a beautiful collection, <laughs> of fine clothing and amazing. Um, no, that's, oh, I didn't know you did that. I'm gonna have to go look. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is everybody. The, Just be the, careful. I mean, you might, I mean, it's like 47, like 47, like that's very soon. Like, why didn't it say I lived this long, beautiful life? That is strange. Maybe just because you said write an obituary. So it went and looked at obituaries and they had to come up with some reason why you died. Do most people die unexpectedly at 47? In the training. I don't know. I like, like when I turn 47, I'm going to be so careful. <laughs> because you asked AI. Oh, goodness. Well, I said we're going to do this in 30 minutes, and that's what we're going to do. I, here's 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 my whole take on this on this podcast is that their conversations just mean they can go on. I I think that I will be talking to you often, especially as times change and looking at new things, because I always really like to look at current events with you. And um, I just appreciate you taking the time. Like I said in the opening, you're somebody that's uh, very important to me on many levels. You've been a real important part in my journey, and I'm just really grateful that you're in the world doing this work and that I you're somebody I can call on when I need. Thanks. I will make a plug for um, just an idea that I've been playing around with. If anyone on the podcast is curious about kind of exploring this, so many people are in career transition right now. Um, either they've been laid off or, you know, they've been in tech long enough and they think, hey, maybe there's something else out there for me. And you can apply that to any industry. Mm -hmm. um, I really want to think about what psychedelic assisted career exploration could look like. Um, and I'm just thinking from my own experience, I've explored careers and um, made pivots for better or worse um, while integrating a psychedelic experience. So I'm trying to think about what what that might look like for others. I think based on what I know about psychedelics and my own you know experience with them, but also my own journey, because I think there's other there are different paths to get some of these kinds of. And you know this about me, that the work I did prior to getting the culture and my own journey and my own struggles was getting clear my purpose. Mm -hmm. work better by improving the places we work and everything shifted in my career afterwards. And I often talk to, if there's a younger person in their career, I'll say that, you know, and that's okay. If you're in your twenties, let that be the work. Like, you don't, not everybody has their purpose nailed out. Let that, my assumption is that with, with facilitated and with the right intention that the psychedelics can help people more quickly get to that kind of clarity so they can move from purpose and not trying to prove something to the, I spent so long trying to prove something to others. Mm. Finally just started moving from purpose and letting, it didn't have to be a manager. I didn't have to be this or that. I just got to every day say, am I moving towards that? And am I going bigger? Uh, things happen in my career that I think never would have happened otherwise. So my hope is maybe anything that can support people to get more quickly to that idea of why, what are you here to do when it's all said and done? What do you want to say was the mark you made and get on it? As soon yeah. As well. It wouldn't be for everyone, but I think it might work for some people. Absolutely. Like clarity. And why can't it be an option? Yeah, it should be. In today's day and age, like let 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 that be an option. We're trying to, you know, also the health, you know, well well being, which we can get into. And why can't we put more things on the table as far as opportunities for people to 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 be better? Uh, so more yeah. 
conversation. I know we can keep going. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here with me and just anybody check out you know, what's the best way to get in touch with you is uh, imagine LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn, Stephen Huang. Reach out. If you do reach out because of this podcast, send a note with it and say, this is where you heard the conversation. So Sven knows where it's coming from and there's some connection there. So, all right. Anything, anything else, any other things you want to say about yourself or your work uh, for people to know before we close this out? You know, I get a lot of um, pings on LinkedIn privately about people um, that have been using psychedelics in their lives and the role that it's played in their lives. And I love getting those messages. So yeah, if there's something that you want to share, you haven't felt like there's been a person to share it with, I'm here for you.